Hey everyone, and welcome back for episode 3 of the Creative Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know in advance, because of some technical difficulties, we had to run this whole episode off of one mic. So you'll get some more of the room reverb. We're sorry if audio quality isn't up to normal standard, but we really do think you'll enjoy the content of today's episode. With that out of the way, let's get started with episode 3 of the Creative Podcast, interviewing Andy and Barbie Lauer. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Keaton Williamson, Benjamin Fisher, and Chen. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with our pastor, Andy, and his wife, Barbie Lauer. Andy is a father, pastor, Ohio State fan, and vice president of the Holiness Partnership. And his wife is a mother, interior home stager. Please welcome Andy and Barbie Lauer. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, guys. guests can get to know you guys just a little bit. Um, we'll start with you, Barbie. Uh, give us your name and maybe one thing you really like to enjoy uh, doing your free time. Sure. Um, I'm Barbie Lauer uh, and I just I really enjoy horticulture so that's working with plants and gardens and being creative there. Okay. Andy? Yeah, my name's Andy. First of all, let me say I love the podcast. <laughs> Thanks. I've listened to Thanks. every episode. And, uh, and they're great. I think they're a little bit too. But anyway, they've been great. And uh, one of the things I enjoy doing um, besides, you know, pastoring and being a dad and a husband uh, is I like board games. Mm. And I really like oh, board yeah. games because board it games brings brings people together. So you get to talk, you get to sit across the table from people, and then you get to use your mind. It develops young people's minds. So that's something I enjoy. Unless that yeah. board game is Monopoly. Anyway. <laughs> Monopoly's not my favorite, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, so how about we move up? Who Who's your um, your parents? Uh, we'll start with Pastor Andy this time. Yeah, I grew up in Ohio. Uh, my parents today are Bob and Dixie Galbraith. Um, my dad was killed in a car accident when I was 17, and my mom remarried four years later, so Bob is my stepdad, so we just call him Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is every bit as much as my dad as my dad was. and um, But they both live here in town. And just moved here a couple years ago, so it's been really nice to have them around. Yeah. And I'm Barbie. I grew up in Rochester, Pennsylvania, so really cr- uh, lived on the Ohio River. Uh, my parents are Wes and Dana Hathaway. All right. All right. <clears throat> so what was it like growing up? It well, was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I did. Uh, a lot different than today in many ways. Mm-hmm. Obviously... No electronics other than little, you know, a little digital game with like little red dashes on a screen that moved around the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, telephones attached to the wall. Yep. TVs that you had to change a channel. You had to get out of your, off the couch to change a channel. You had about like three channels to, to watch. Right. Yeah. Growing up was great. I was pushed outside like most kids in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> you didn't come home until the street lights came on. So we were outside all day. We loved biking around. We just felt like we had so much freedom because we could bike to the little grocery store. We could bike to friends' house. We could bike to parks and pools. And it was just awesome. And my love for nature, I think, just really bloomed from that. Um, As I became an early teenager, did play a little bit of Pac-Man on Atari with friends. But we played pool. We played all kinds of games outside until dark. 
Okay. Yeah, Atari came around when we were <laughs> maybe starting middle school, and then Nintendo came. And good console. So you guys would console. say you had a pretty good childhood and teenage years. Yes. Yeah, we did yeah. spend a lot of time outside. Wintertime, I'd like to spend time inside. Oh, I played Legos. Wintertime is my Lego favorite fans. season. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you got, did you guys both grow up in Christian homes, Christian parents? Yeah. We did. Yeah. So, for you guys, obviously, you grew up in Christian homes. You had Jesus around you. Mm-hmm. But when is it when Jesus became real to you, when your faith became your own and not just your parents? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I had generations praying for me before I was even born. But I think how when it became real was when I was in um, elementary school. And in Sunday school, we would sing this song, Come into my heart, come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And one day I just realized... Wow, that was kind of like a song that we sang, but it it had like a purpose and it had a decision behind it. Like I had to choose if I wanted to invite him into my life or not. So I decided to do that that day. And then how he really, really became real was I was I was in high school and I had to kind of think, is this my parents' religion and thought and people that have prayed for me or do I really want to take this to the next level and own it as my own. And that happened as a high schooler when I was a junior, senior in high school. Okay. For me, um, I would say that I can't really think of a moment where he became more real. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt, I feel like for me, just I never had, I was really blessed not to have questions or doubts really about God. Um, I would say that when I was 13 is when I did, um, accept Christ as my Savior, make a conscious decision um, to do that. Uh, but I feel like for myself, it's just, he's always just been very real and always been present in my life and always been something that I, someone I strove to to follow and be a, have a part of my life. A couple things about like your your midlife, you could say. Um, when, how'd you guys meet? Like, mm-hmm. When did you guys first meet? Yeah, we met in college at Mount Vernon Nazarene. It was college back then. Now it's university. So, and um, I say I caught him looking at me, and he would say he caught me looking at him. So we yeah. don't know. We were in the both in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. I was going up to get a refill on my drink, and I happened to kind of look over, and I saw her looking at me, and uh, realized uh, she liked what she saw, of course, <laughs> and so. <laughs> So then after I did that, and after she left the dining hall, I went over to her friends that were sitting there and said, hey, what's the name of that girl that you were just sitting with? And they told me her name was Barbie. And so I said, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll give her a call. And of course, I should have known this. They ran right back to the room. Huh. like, you never guess who asked about you? And, and I didn't know his name, but I kind of had um, seen him a couple different times, and I had kind of labeled him in my mind Swing Kid because that was a movie out at the time and he kind of dressed like that and had that look um of the early 1930s 40s so i in my brain i thought oh that swing kid guy like i didn't even know his name was andy <laughs> kind of a, a tad bit still on that point mm-hmm. um what year were you got did you guys get married Let's see if andy remembers <laughs> <laughs> june 15th 1996 so we just celebrated 27 years oh wow yeah congratulations yeah Definitely. Um, yeah. Um, so obviously, as we said at the beginning, you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been a Christian since uh, 13. When was it that 
um, it went from being a follower to you feeling like Jesus was like, I don't want you to just be a follower of me, but I would like you to help lead my sheep. Yeah. That's a good question. I, growing up in a Christian home, on our, I grew up in the Church of Nazarene, and so many districts will have, would have what was called camp meeting. And camp meeting dates all the way back to the 1800s when people would travel to a destination. They would travel to a town or something like that from their, from their farm, you know, way out in the boonies. And they would spend a week camping or longer. Sometimes they would last for a month and they would have, you know, preachers and evangelists and people would stay in cabins or sleep in tents or whatever and uh, just hear preaching and worship and all that kind of stuff. But today we still have some places that have camp meetings. And so they'll gather for a week and have evangelists will come in and usually preach in the morning and the evening. So I grew up around that uh, going to St. Mary's, Ohio. Uh, where our campground was, Northwest Ohio, Northwest Ohio, and um, just the the preaching really always captured my heart, you know, and I always felt stirred by what I was hearing, and really moved by that. Of course, you know, back then it was a little bit more I don't want to call it fire and brimstone, but it was just, you know, very passionate preaching, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of sensed, felt like a tug in that direction. So then, as I grew older. I, all, I still felt that, but it wasn't until I went to what was called Nazarene Youth Conference in 1991. Uh, I was in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. I was 17. Went to this, and the night that the speaker was speaking, he was talking about the calling of Moses, God's calling of Moses. And, you know, Moses had all these objections. I, I can't, you know, I, don't, I can't speak. I mutter. I stumble over my words, whatever. And God was overcoming those objections, and the speaker was just talking about how God did that. And he said that God will never call you to do something that he will not also equip you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to have it in yourself. God's going to equip you for that. Now, maybe he has given you some of that, but he will equip you to do what he's called you to do. And that was the exact moment that, for me, I knew. He was calling me, and I knew he would equip me. Because I always felt like, oh, there's no way I can stand up in front of people and preach for five minutes, let alone 20 minutes, whereas now I preach 45 minutes. Yeah. But um, uh, that really confirmed it for me. Really interesting, just a couple of years ago, Barbie was looking on YouTube and she found an old, uh, about 20-minute video clip from Nazarene Youth Congress. It was a Congress that was made back then, conference. Uh, and so we were watching through that, and they had the clip of... Uh, Gary Henneke, I believe was his name, if I remember correctly, preaching. It was like a, it was like a 15, 10, 15 second clip. It was the exact words I remembered verbatim. That, like that moment when I'm watching that video was the moment God called me in ministry. So it was wow. so amazing to see that 30 years later. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Yeah. Darby, it's interesting for you. Cause yeah. Yeah, for me, I I didn't want to be in ministry. <laughs> Actually, my mother and my grandmother both said, Barbie, you're going to be a pastor's wife someday. And I kind of was like, no way. <laughs> because um, I was a very shy kid. I'm an extrovert, but I was very shy. So mm-hmm. you can't be both. But um, yes, I just, I, I was like, no way. Because I thought something I had to do in ministry was play the piano and public speak all the time. <laughs> Neither of which I wanted to do. I hated <laughs> piano recitals. I like would clench all up and just was so shy. And then like speaking to anyone, that would even terrify me even more. So um, I thought those were two things I had to do. And uh, at the time, 
my grandmother told me one summer while I was home from college, I think you're going to be a pastor's wife. And at the time, I had just started dating Andy. And I said, oh, well, no way. He's a philosophy major. He's studying literature. I thought, no, he's going to be a professor or something. And I, I'm off the hook. I won't be a pastor's <laughs> wife. And little did you know, God is funny. He um, led Andy into full-time pastoral ministry. But... Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's really exciting, and now I love doing those things. I love playing, and I love um, speaking and sharing my story. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was gonna say because you went from being like, no, I hate playing the piano, and now <laughs> yeah, see you up there occasionally right. playing the grand piano yeah. for service. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like sometimes I feel like we have this image of God where he's like this strict person with like void of emotion sometimes, mm-hmm. but that's not really true. Right, I, like. Every all his emotions don't dictate him, and like it's not it's hard to describe it all. But he has a sense of humor in a way, oh, and like exactly, it, yeah. it's oh, it's yeah. funny how we can see those things turn around and just like we just talked of, about that yeah. with the young adults yeah. this week in um, class. We we do a class on Sunday mornings, and uh, we were talking about how God is funny sometimes because. Mm-hmm. My very first like real job out of college was at the seminary and they had a position for like the up front mm-hmm. receptionist kind of the face of the seminary and I went and applied and I got the job and yes I was nervous but I felt like God was pushing me to apply for that job because he knew I needed that experience and like mm-hmm. pushed me but he was He's funny, for sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would add one more thing, Yeah. As far since we're talking about calling. For me, even though I felt and accepted a call to ministry when I was a teenager at NYC, um, it was still many years after that till I really understood what specifically that was. So mm-hmm. I was, I was, and I would just say that because if people are exploring a calling to ministry, you know, or you're young and you still don't know what you're going to do, like, you don't have to have it all figured out right away just keep your heart soft toward God keep pursuing him and so I kept knocking on doors so to speak and I went to college and you know studied I studied like she said studied philosophy but I knew I was going to go to seminary so I was going to get kind of the religion side of things mm-hmm. um, so I went to seminary and did well there and then decided to go and apply for a PhD and got accepted to that program so I went there and it really was at that point when I kind of got to that final step in the academic world that I realized how much I had missed the pastoral aspect of things that we had done for many years at that by that point, and um, and just didn't feel kind of felt the wind go out of my sails in the academic direction, mm-hmm. and so that's when we kind of made that turn back and uh, went and that's when into ministry, and then I've never looked back since, and just I've not even really felt much of a tug back toward that other academic lifestyle. So. Yeah, and for me, like you said, at any age, because. Um, I've been in ministry with Andy and, and leading here at the church in various ways. But actually, I say Andy received his call in 1991 at NYC. But really, I received a formal call just recently mm-hmm. from NYC 2023. I was watching online and God had been kind of speaking to me the last few months about doing ministry but maybe in a little bit more formal way going back to school so at 47 years old he uh he kind of put that on my heart to really do that and Mm -hmm. so now i'm heading back to um nazarene bible college (laughs) how fitting for the time of year too yeah (laughs) going back to school for everyone that's right um rounding back on something andy said about the whole point of like 
you were called to ministry, but you didn't know what that looked like. Mm-hmm. I can, like, that speaks to me personally because I felt that call to ministry, but while I'm still exploring it and have ideas of what I'd like to do and what I feel like I could and God might have for me, it's still a very, like, open-ended question. I know I want to and feel that I should be in ministry. I just haven't figured out where that lands. So right. I, I, I know a lot of people, most of the time, it's not like this is exactly what you're going to do mm-hmm. right off the bat. Yeah. So, yeah, that's extremely relatable. Just for... prepare yourself as much as you can in many, as many ways as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, so all the experience, I mean, positive experiences. Yeah. As much experience <laughs> as you can get, you know, serving in a church, volunteering, um, you know, learning from people, even like the podcast, like we're doing, like listening to other people talk about their calling. That mm-hmm. all those things can be a part of helping you discern that. So that's good. Where did you guys have a, after you were married? Uh, where did you guys have your first home at? Uh, our very first home, um, we lived off campus at Mount Vernon for a year, but then we quickly moved out to Kansas City, and our first home was thirteen sixteen West Fortieth Street, Kansas City. It was kind of a urban area that was in the midst of change. So um, it was neat because we had this little rickety house and we just kind of worked on it. And um, three years later, sold it and bought another place. So we've kind of been doing that the last 27 years and enjoy be- being creative that way. <laughs> yeah. This is our ninth house we've lived in, and I think all but two we've pretty much gutted the kitchens and done complete remodels on those and done bathrooms and laundry rooms and painting and flooring. And this last house is the first time I ever completely repainted the outside of our house. But uh, so that was interesting. But yeah. So yeah, um, Kansas City. We lived in Kansas City for three years, four years. Which, uh, did you live on the Missouri side or the Kansas side? We lived in both. Mm-hmm. So, ah, okay. Yeah, so we lived in two different houses, three different places out there, actually. So Kind of still on this topic of like whenever you first got married, your homes after you got married. Um, what about uh, you, your kids? You have three kids. We do. Yeah. We have um, Oscar. He's 20. He is currently a junior at Olivet Nazarene. Edie is um, year behind him, 19, sophomore at ONU. And then our youngest is Naomi, and uh, she will be a senior. She is a senior currently, and she's currently looking for a college. Of course, she can go wherever she wants to go, but mm-hmm. I think she's heavily leaning towards Olivet as well. Mm-hmm. Good college. So we'll have three of them in all of it at the same time. <laughs> that's so. If you see us uh, moving from our current house into a cardboard box, <laughs> you'll understand why. So, uh, so. What was it like learning that you were going to have a kid? Mm. Shocking, <laughs> terrifying, um, and exciting. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I always tell people when I do counseling and stuff that uh, marriage, you know, premarital counseling or whatever, you're. You know, you can kind of prepare, but you're never really fully ready for yeah, a kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of just that thing where no matter how much yeah. knowledge you take in, how much you learn and prepare, you're never really gonna be ready. Yeah, you can't you can't prepare for all the eventualities, you'll but always, God can help you with that. You'll always be yeah. learning on the way. Yeah, 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 right. So moving towards like your more recent um, stuff. So uh, we'll start with you, Barbie. What do you do as like? Your occupation, what's your job, uh, what do you do kind of in your day-to-day life now? Sure, sure. Well, uh, I I was, uh, when in school, I studied the interior design track. So um, I did that as well as business. I love those two things. 
I love how the creative is as well as, I mean, being a business person, you have to be creative too, mm -hmm. but I really enjoy, um, interior design. I love all design. I think it is, it is very interesting shape, color, texture. Um, I love when it represents nature. Most things do, whether we know it or not. And, um, so what I do is I go in, um, before the photographer mm -hmm. or, um, and we go ahead and we prep the house. So we make sure the flow is good so that a realtor and typically a couple can maneuver through the house. We also, um, depersonalize it. A lot of times, you know, you guys have photographs in your home that are of you and your family mm -hmm. and um, we just make sure the flow is good and that it's appealing for most buyers so mm -hmm. um, there's a lot to do with design in that because um, a quality design shows so yeah people look for design whether you know it or not mm -hmm. yeah because I don't, I don't feel like a lot of people will really recognize like they'll see oh the house looks nice but they don't realize like the behind the scenes work that goes into right. that when it's staged like you guys do right. Um, I'm always amazed, you know, either I see sometimes or they have before and after pictures. I just think, what are people thinking? <laughs> and then they go in and it just, when they're done, it just looks so much better. And mm -hmm. part of that, part of that is studying and learning the design elements and principles. But I do think part of it is just kind of a natural eye yeah. for those things. So for yeah. Things like that, sometimes it's less so about the education and more so it's just like, some people just have a better eye for it than others. Yeah, I think it's, I think right. it's both, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a science, but also um, an art yeah. into your design. So, I mean, there are specific rules, you know, like pictures should be placed this, coffee table should be this high, this low, you know, verse for a, a sofa. But it is also um, very creative because it is a science and it is an art. So, mm -hmm. it... People might not even know they they like it, but they don't know the reason why they like it. So I think sometimes just going into an interior with a fresh set of eyes, and I think this is what we do as stagers. You guys live in your homes every day, so mm -hmm. you, you kind of look past things after a while, but having a stager come in, you, you look at things with a fresh set of eyes and see it from the buyer's perspective than the homeowner's perspective. Yeah, so Andy, obviously we've already talked about and said how you are a pastor here. Mm -hmm. um, I guess maybe you can talk about that. Maybe talk about how you came came to this church. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. We were in Toledo, Ohio, and we were church planters, which means that we had started a church. And we had started a church in our home. And the you know, first year... It was just Barbie and I, and our kids were really little, and we would just have a Bible study in the home and as we tried to meet neighbors and getting people to come. And so we eventually found a, a couple down the road that were some neighbors that started coming, and then just over the years. So after five years, we were running about 50 on a Sunday morning, wow. but uh, and we were happy there, getting ready to maybe make some transitions, possibly moving into a new building and some other things like that. Kids were ready, getting ready to start school. And um, the pastor who was here was a friend of mine from seminary, and, and the pastor here at South Bend First at the time, David Bartley, was elected district superintendent of Northwest Indiana, which is this district. Mm -hmm. And so they had been without a pastor for about, I don't know, six or nine months at that point. And uh, we, I can't remember exactly, he called me or we were just talking about it or something like that, but it kind of came up 
why don't you come and interview at the church? So we really had to kind of pray about that and think about that because we weren't necessarily looking to move, but we weren't, we didn't want to close ourselves off if God was trying to do something. Yeah. So we came and interviewed, and it really, for us, afterward, we really did feel like this was probably, we felt like God moving us, drawing us here. You know, so we had the second interview, and everything went well, and um, so we came, and, and we've been here almost 11 years now. So, so like, uh, job interviews, they base it off, like, your experience and stuff. What does it look like for a job interview to be interviewing for a church? Yeah, that's good. So in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, pastor, uh, churches can call their own pastors. In some denominations, a, a pastor is a, appointed to a church, so mm-hmm. the d- local church doesn't have a decision. But in the Church of the Nazarene, the local church gets to choose. The process typically is, at least for a senior pastor, you know, you send uh, resumes to district superintendents who oversee you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 churches on a district or even more. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a whole pool of these, and they try to match pastors with churches. So they'll maybe give three names to a church, and maybe somebody, you know, maybe the local church will have a name of a pastor they want to interview. So they give the names, the, the people look over the, the resumes, explore that kind of stuff, and then they invite them in for an in person interview. So we came here and we met with the church board, our first interview, and, you know, they ask all kinds of questions about our background, and same kinds of questions you guys are asking some of them. and. Uh, you know, what we believe about, I mean, they know, they should know our theology because we're ordained in the Church of the Nazarene, but, you know, maybe some of our philosophy of ministry and how we would do certain things and what we think about this or that. And then after that, um, they decided they want to call us back then uh, for an interview with the church, the whole church. So then we came and we sat up in the, on the platform and any church members that wanted to come and, and ask us questions were able to do that. So we did that. And then after that, the church voted. And um, mm-hmm. make to, has a vote, and it has to be maybe two thirds. I think it's two thirds, but most pastors are probably not going to go someplace unless it's you know maybe eighty percent or more. Yeah. Just because you don't, it's hard to go into a place where a third of people are like kind of not with you to begin with. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so typically, it's higher. I have a funny story about that though. Okay. <laughs> I had a uh, a friend of mine who we pastored in Toledo together, and he told me about one of the churches he had gone to. And uh, when he was called and, and pastoring that church, <clears throat> so he said he went there, and he said there was w- one person that voted no to him coming uh, when he came there. Everybody else was unanimous yes. <clears throat> so I said, I said, well, how did that? How did it turn out when you went there? And and uh, this guy, you know, said no. Mm-hmm. And did you ever get along with him or whatever? And I said he died shortly after I got there. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, oh, no. So you know, be careful how you vote. So you're involved with the church mm-hmm. uh, ministry. Both of you guys are. Um, you're on the worship team. You are a guitar and vocalist. Mm-hmm. You're a vocalist, bass, piano. Kind of, you do a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I love band. Yeah. I've always loved band. I was in um, a high school marching band, um, and then concert band. And I just, I think it's been neat to see how church music has evolved and changed mm-hmm. um so yeah whether it's um horns and brass at christmas time or or hymns or you know a full rock band i love it all so there's another um ministry that we mentioned at the beginning of the show that you're involved with andy and it's the holiness partnership a lot of our listeners are probably not going to know what that is some of them will if they're friends of ours um can you explain what that is what your involvement in it is um yeah yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, the Holiness Partnership 
was something that uh, myself and another pastor, Jared Henry, started. He's the president. Um, those titles are just, we had to have officer titles. We're not like, we don't see ourselves like one above another. Mm-hmm. But um, several years ago, uh, just through engagement in social media, interactions with people that I had gone to college, seminary with, I pastored with, just seeing some real radical changes and real radical shifts from what we had known like when I was your age, right? And you always think, uh, you know, the church is always going to, everything's going to be great. And seeing these radical shifts kind of moving away from what, you know, I really feel like is faithfulness to Scripture and to the Bible and, and the doctrines of the church and that arise from Scripture. So that was happening, and there were, there's just very, people that are trying to move in that direction tend to have very loud voices. I don't mean like volume-wise, but I mean, you know, presence and, uh, they, you know, podcasts and blogs and vlogs and books and, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're always involved in, like, promoting and pushing these 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 ideas. Yeah. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, I don't want to – I use the – okay, so maybe more progressive, more conservative. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit more of a progressive kind of leaning, left-leaning. On the more conservative side, pastors, in my observation, tend to just – be more involved in pastoring their local church, right? They're involved in doing what God's called them to do there. They're not as involved necessarily in creating all of these uh, parachurch kind of ministries and setting up all these conferences and stuff. You know, they just we just tend to buckle down and just pastor our churches. But that leaves a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And so where there's a vacuum, you know, something's going to fill that. And again, so that's where a lot of these more progressive-leaning voices that's, to me, I feel like we're pulling us away from scriptural Christianity uh, we're filling that void in our in the Church of the Nazarene and Wesleyan churches in general. So Jared and I were talking about this over the course of a couple of years. And, you know, I've been blessed to be in the church a long time, be involved. I've worked at the headquarters in Kansas City, went to seminary, went to college, just have known a lot of people. But didn't know a lot of people who were really speaking very clearly about these issues and really kind of contending for the faith and pushing back against them. And I'm sure there were people, it's just we weren't aware of as many of them. So... We finally felt like, you know what, if we're not really seeing people doing that in a very in a public way that and people were clamoring and, and dying for voices to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, that's not who we've ever been, that's not who we are, that's not what scripture says. So we felt like if we're not seeing that taking place and somebody doing that, maybe God's calling us to do it. And so uh, is that the time when you made the Holiness Partnership? So that's the time when we made the Holiness Partnership. So that was the summer of, I think, 2019. And uh, Jared and I met, and he lives in southern Indiana. I live up here, so we met in Indianapolis, and we spent an entire day at a church down there kind of mapping it out and putting it down on paper. And then a few months later, we met with a—we had uh, reached out to about 75 different people that we knew were real solid, strong, biblical, conservative Christians— and they kept reaching you because you guys kept And many people kept reaching out to us, but we, we identified, uh, you know, 12 people who agreed. So we met together in Kentucky at uh, Appalachia Reach Out mm-hmm. and uh, formalized the board. So we elected officers, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, we've had a couple conferences and we've um, put out some books, magazines, all kinds of stuff like that. But really the goal of the Holiness Partnership is to be, to be a voice for uh, calling us back to holiness, uh, having our hearts transformed by God's grace, uh, evangelism, seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior, mm-hmm. and then just being faithful. I always use the word fidelity. That means faithfulness. Fidelity to Scripture. 
And so really just trying to be a voice calling us as a church back to that, adding our, our voices to uh, Church of the Nazarene, Wesleyan Church, Salvation Army, all those kinds of things. Yeah, and um, I've actually been blessed enough to have the opportunity to help with some of the events, with yeah. some of the planning, mm-hmm. uh, a couple other things, because obviously my uh, mom, Christina Fisher, the youth pastor here at this church, uh, is on the, on the board, board of yeah. the Holiness Partnership. And she always takes me along, and it's just great getting to hear all these different speakers. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're actually, we'll link to the Holiness Partnership website in the description of the episode if you guys want to go take a look at that afterwards. Please do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, follow-up question to mm-hmm. kind of the Holiness Partnership uh, ministry. So, obviously, you're talking about how the Holiness Partnership is more conservative-leaning conservative and the churches related to it. Uh, same, and you have more liberal or left-leaning churches on that other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now, from what I like, personally, just observation on a lot of those left-leaning, louder churches, it tends to seem like their messages are a lot more universal. They're a lot more easily acceptable. There's not a whole lot of hard stuff to digest in their messages, um, and that kind of I can see why that's more appealing to some people, even though it's not necessarily true. But can you expound upon like? What, when you say conservative and when you say liberal, what what that looks like in the church? And both yeah, and I don't mean yeah, I don't mean we don't mean political. Yeah, yes. although we're accused of you know all kinds of things, but mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily political. Although I I do think you can look at a political platform and they they have issues. You look at the issue. I, I vote on issues, mm-hmm. uh, but typically platforms will talk about the issues. But what we mean is uh, ones that stay uh, conservative be ones that stay try to stay closer and to conserve, if you will, mm-hmm. um, the teachings, the historic historical mm-hmm. teachings of the church, uh, both the, the church global church and the, the church historical church, as well as the church the denomination that which we're a part. So they will say, um, you know, rather than like trying to push the boundaries of things, they'll say, no, this is we have an understanding, we have a doctrine, we have teachings. This is what they mean. Let's try to stay close to those as we can, stay faithful to Scripture. Um, on the progressive side, I do believe that they're trying to be faithful to Scripture, but they tend to interpret things kind of in light of new um, new things in culture, new maybe scientific discoveries, new uh, channels of theological thought. Uh, I do think sometimes politics does weigh on that. So um, they tend to reflect uh, look a little bit more in alignment with culture and what more of a conservative would 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 be. So um, I think that would kind of help, kind of help in an easy way understand a little bit of the differences. So yeah, so it's basically those who are staying true to the original gospel mm-hmm. and those who are, I suppose, I could word it as trying to weave in the secular culture um, with the Bible. Well, I think they're also trying to stay true, but the way they understand true is, in my observation, more heavily influenced by okay. sources outside of maybe Culture. historical Christian mm-hmm. tradition uh, and uh, more of a, a little bit more of a, I don't want to say literal reading, but again, more of a conservative, almost sometimes literal, uh, more, more plain uh, type reading of scripture versus one that heavily interprets and heavily reads into. The Bible's not an easy pickup 
and you know everything in it right away. There are so many things in it that yeah, I mean, there's a reason work. people go to seminary yeah. to study the Bible. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's accessible to anybody. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to go to seminary to do it. Yeah. But yeah. it also it can whether it's seminary, or Bible college, or whatever, um, it can give you some tools uh, that are more accessible than to you. You have more immediate access to them when it comes to Bible study and interpretation. But you know, I think people can be sincere, but you can also be sincerely wrong. So um, just because you're sincere is not necessarily an indicator that your interpretation or your views are right. Mm-hmm. Well, and we see this in the Bible from the very beginning. You know, again, going back to the garden, we see people skewing God's words. Did God really say that? The serpent said, you know, mm-hmm. he was questioning her. So we've always, from the beginning of time, mm-hmm. have been trying to make it what we wanted to say and what we want to hear. Um, all the way from Adam and Eve going through Noah. I mean, just reading through all those accounts, we see that time and time again. And it's like getting back to the basics mm-hmm. every yeah. time. You know, okay, what did God's word say? What What did he tell us to do? So it's not a new problem. Yeah. A quote I always liked was, Ale- I think it's Alexander Pope, I always remember this. He said, uh, God made man in his image, and ever since man has been trying to return the favor. In other words, making God in our image, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a good one. Um, Okay, so now we've kind of dug deep on a couple Mm -hmm. of these different things. We've gone into some different philosophy or church Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But now we're going to move into something a little bit more lighthearted. We were going to do a speed round of some Mm -hmm. different questions, and we're just going to go through. Chen's going to ask three, I'm going to ask three, and Ben's going to ask three. And they're just kind of surface level, almost get-to-know-you questions, but Mm -hmm. yeah, and just... We'll ask the question. You tell us right off the top of your head what you uh, think. Cool. Sounds like fun. So, uh, Chen, you can start us. All right. Um, so, what is, your, like, your, what is your favorite song? Like, It doesn't have to just be Christian. It can be any type of song. Favorite song? Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. That is so <laughs> hard. Maybe we can come back to that. <laughs> I, I would just say, I know. <laughs> I think there's something interesting about the piece Bohemian Rhapsody. I know it's it's <laughs> crazy, but I just think that's a very creative piece. Okay. Wow, you said that on this podcast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this boy. Speed round. I know, I know. There's a million things. Um, this is where I struggle the most, too. <laughs> Probably just, I, I would just go with whatever is the first one that pops into your head. <laughs> Well, I really always like I'm I'm attracted to uh, sad music, so like things that are sound sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, I'm not saying this to sound presumptuous. Uh, I really do love classical music, particularly Baroque music. Um, Albanoni, Adagio in G minor, is one of my favorites. As a look it up and listen to it, uh, Adagio in G minor. All right, what about uh, your favorite movie? <laughs> uh, can I give two? Sure. I like yes. A River Runs Through It. Which is a Robert Redford film uh, and it stars um, uh, Brad Pitt and I can't remember the other actor's name. But they are two boys that grow up in Montana. It's a story of two brothers and uh, kind of diverging paths. And their dad is a, I think he's a Presbyterian pastor. But it's just this beautiful setting uh, in the uh, the mountains of Montana. It's about fly fishing, but it's also about the brothers and their life. And mm-hmm. one of my favorites. And then Shadowlands, which is uh, about C.S. Lewis. The Life of C.S. Lewis. And I think I've heard of that one before. Yeah, it's really, really good. Good. I would say the Glenn Miller story. This is an old movie with Jimmy Stewart, and it follows the life of the 
um, Glenn Miller. Mm -hmm. So it has a lot of the big band pieces, which is, again, another genre I love. Um, and the whole um, story of World War II mixed in. So it reminds me of my grandparents, but I love the music. I love the acting. It's a good film. Check it out. What would you say is your favorite book of the Bible? We'll all start with Barbie for this one. I was just talking about this with someone the other day. I would say it's Ruth. My middle name is Ruth. My grandmother's name was um, middle name was Ruth, and I have a daughter Naomi. So it kind of wraps up that whole story. But I love that book of the Bible and the deeper meaning behind all of the characters. Boaz representing the kinsman redeemer, Jesus mm -hmm. Christ, Naomi representing the people of Israel, and then Ruth representing the Gentile people because she was a Moabite. Um, she wasn't even really supposed to be in the, the Jewish family. So here they find themselves two widows and uh, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the next um, family member in line. He actually, I did some deeper dive. He, he lost his wife um, in the same famine. So uh, by the time Naomi and uh, Ruth come along, uh, it, it just all worked out well. And from some of the intertestimonial books, which we don't, you know, it's not part of the Bible, but we get some more of their history and their life. Uh, they were married one day. He died the next day. So they conceived a son on their wedding night. And then we have that line of um, continuing all the way through Jesse and David and eventually through Christ our Lord. So it is really a neat book. I would say uh, it's hard to narrow it down to one, but um, probably the Old Testament would be Job. It's one of the earliest, if not the earliest. Uh, you like dark things. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's like such a fundamental question, right? The problem of evil, you know, where is God when things go wrong? It, it talks about, you know, uh, Hasatan, Hasatan, which is the adversary. And, um, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm -hmm. uh, talks about faithfulness. It talks about one of my favorite verses, Bible verses. Uh, is where Job finally says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take a stand upon the earth. And even after the flesh of my body, I'm paraphrasing, but after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God, mm -hmm. uh, who my eyes will behold and not another. And I just think, wow, you know, that is our hope. You know, even after all of this stuff and our life ends and everything, we are still going to see our Redeemer. So such a great uh, book. Uh, in the New Testament, though, I'm, gonna, I'm cheating. Um, <laughs> I like First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Peter, so just very apropos and relevant for today, uh, the world we're living in. So, mm -hmm. all right. Um, how about uh, who is your favorite actor in movies, TV shows, that kind of thing? Well, it kind of goes with uh, one of my picks, which was Shadowlands, but I've always liked Anthony Hopkins. I will share that too and then yeah just pass on to the next question okay. um for the sake of time i won't do two questions like the two of them have um here uh here's my speed question what is your guys's favorite art form it could be anything from music to like some sort of physical drawing sculpture whatever uh, favorite mm -hmm. art form whoever thinks of it Wow. <laughs> People don't think of it as an art form, but I think um, gardening is an art form, mm -hmm. and that would probably be my favorite. Okay. I would probably say music. Good. Good yeah, choice. That's mine. That's not like a... 
unusual choice, but yeah. Cool. As we wrap up the podcast uh, episode, uh, there's a question we want to ask both of you guys. So, obviously we've touched on different things throughout the podcast, but as like this closing wrap-up, what would you say in your day-to-day life, how does creativity um, come out in your day-to-day life? What things do you do in your life that you feel are creative? Uh, go first. Sure. A couple things I wanted to say. Um, one thing I think people don't know about Andy and I is we like to listen to podcasts together, especially when we travel. Mm-hmm. So some of our favorites are um, Blurry Creatures, which ranges from any kind of creature, from Bigfoot to aliens and everything from, in looking between. Looking at it from a biblical perspective. Yeah, and looking at it from a biblical perspective. And we also like um, L.A. Marzulli. We listen to him a lot. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, Andy and I really started doing this on our free time and um we realized you know we know there is a an awesome creator and he created things and then sometimes along the way came something that came in and skewed or changed dna or um so specifically like with fallen angels and creating maybe a whole new race of um, giants nephilim so they might be talking about that on these podcasts and just how how maybe God's plan and, and, and evil is trying to always wrestle with this and, and change it Ruin up. And, yeah, I think as far as creativity for me, again, it, it goes back to the creator and it, it just it wasn't just a random thing. I think creation and nature leads us and points us to the creator. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've, I've had a fun time over the last 10, 10 years too with gardening and studying all the scriptures relating to gardening, but also there's a whole study of what's called permaculture. So it talks about like systems and gardens and like, Um, water systems and all these things and there's so much design so like um, people that would say they don't believe in a creator would just think this is happenstance so for example like a beehive you know you see the hexagon and it's it's made um, it's it's interesting that the bees use that shape Mm -hmm. and people would say oh that just evolved that way but what you don't realize is that shape, that six-sided shape, mm-hmm. is the strongest shape with the least amount of work. So the mm-hmm. bees are using as little um, work and as little material to make the strongest shape. I mean, I think interior design and exterior design and horticulture, permaculture, it is all related. So like another one of my favorite shapes is what you would think of when you see an apple core. So if somebody ate an apple and what's left over is that apple core shape. Yeah. And um, this is used in nature and life and by the creator all the time. So for example, a tree, you, you see the top portion of the tree, but actually the whole tree is the root system underneath too. Mm-hmm. It, it mimics that apple core shape. If you take a baseball and you put two of these apple core shapes together, you actually get a sphere. So it's just, there's so much in shapes and design and texture and color. 
that we think are just happenstance, but take a lifetime for people, scientists, mathematicians to discover. Mm -hmm. And here God made it just like that. It, it's really exciting. So I think that there's so much more in design that we don't even understand yet today. And maybe mm -hmm. we won't fully understand ever, but there are reasons why we're attracted to certain things and types and shapes. But those are two of my favorite. All right, Pastor Andy. Yeah, I'll try to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I think the creative side, I mean, you know, you have, there's some creativity in writing sermons and mm -hmm. I've been a writer and an editor in the past. So just writing, I've always enjoyed writing. So that's creative. But, um, I would say for me, because a lot of what I do as a pastor is more left-brained, right? You're thinking critically, you know, you're reasoning, you're rational, you know, uh, using your rational mind, and then it's relational. I like the creative aspect because it's more right-brained. So I've always enjoyed working with my hands, building things. Mm -hmm. um, I've always enjoyed, uh, I enjoy like small projects at home. When I was a kid growing up, I painted models. I still do that today because it's a break away from what I normally do and allows my, I think it allows that part of my brain and my, my personality to rest and just like focus in on something like that as well as board games I think are very, very creative. Mm -hmm. It's the process of playing and, and looking at the, the tactile nature and the aesthetic nature of all that. So yeah, so creative yeah. is very important for me. In all honesty, creativity is... How do I even word this? I was trying to think of a way to word this to kind of capture what I'm thinking, but it's a very, it's, a, it's a very, you can make creative like your own thing. Yeah. yeah. I did, it's kind of like an outpouring of like what, especially like most of the time created, re, yeah, true creativity is relaxed. It's just kind of like this genuine outpouring of just kind of your enjoyment for something mm -hmm. and you're expressing it through maybe an art form or through being creative and how you think about something or interact with something. So it really takes on a different form for every person. Like Barbie enjoying um, the way shapes fit into nature mm -hmm. and her enjoyment of plants and all that is very different from board games, painting models and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it has that same like enjoying and almost refreshing effect on the person who's mm -hmm. like whatever creativity takes forming for each person it's it's productive and i think yeah I believe god made us to be productive mm -hmm. yeah you know, he gave us these minds and that's part of being created in his image right mm -hmm. god is productive he created and, all things and he gave us that ability to create and kind of what i just could not for the life of me think of a way to word it <laughs> but i would say god is extremely extremely creative mm -hmm. just like look at creation He's the ultimate creator. and yeah. the i could not even imagine I mean, I, it's very difficult for me to imagine most things about God and grasp it, but how he could create these, it's just so complicated. So every little detail is thought out. Mm -hmm. And there's some types of plants and animals in some regions of the world that are so bizarre. Mm -hmm. And I just like to imagine sometimes God just had a little bit of fun with some things mm -hmm. he created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. It's, yeah. So we know creativity to take things around us and make something new from it. God took literally nothing and made it into what right. it is. Which He's is making hard. stuff much more amazing from literal nothingness. Yeah. And what we have, what we do is just take stuff he's given us and make something new out of it. And I, I think part of it, and I know you're trying to wrap it up, but is mm -hmm. that when God uses that phrase, let there be, 
mm-hmm. right? That's language of permission. And so to me, I, I think that that speaks that, like you said, God is creative by nature. I mean, he, he creates all things. So he just, it's just like it was, the potential was there, like locked up and waiting. Like he's just ready to pour forth, whether it's his love, it's creativity, truth, whatever. And he said, let there be, and everything that we see is exploded when he gave permission. Yeah. Well, and this would be interesting for you guys too in the future. I mean, you guys have talked about Minecraft, and I, I really don't know the game. I yeah. see it as more of squares and blocks. <laughs> yeah. So I that mean, might be interesting for you guys to explore shape more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just, it's very interesting. And, uh, yeah, I don't know much about the game, but <laughs> I should listen to that podcast, I guess. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. Thanks it, for having us. Yeah. It was a pleasure was having fun. you guys on. You were phenomenal first. Yeah, I hope, uh, you, uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Oh, yeah, did. absolutely. Did. Yeah. could talk so. about design for a long time. but <laughs> No, you guys are all good. You guys, I mean, answered our questions flawlessly. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, proud of you guys. It's really exciting to see you know young people being creative and mm-hmm. expressing that and using that and then using it especially to learn more about God. Well, that's our show for today, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We really hope that you were able to have some good takeaways from today's conversation with Andy and Barbie Lauer, and that it encourages you to get out there and explore what God has for you. As always, we appreciate it if you would follow our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, which we're now on. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Spotify for Podcasters, Overcast, and many other of your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and follow our page so you can stay up to date with all our latest happenings with the show. For any of you wanting to look deeper into some of the things we talked about today, we'll link things like the Holiness Partnership website, South Bend First Church of the Nazarene's website, as well as the Blurry Creatures podcast, if you want to go check that out as well. Thank you again for tuning in, and as always, stay creative. You guys were great first guests on the show. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. And we are excited for future interviews that we do. Yes. Yeah, yeah we'll be listening. Yeah. Great to hear. Thanks, guys. <laughs>